Welcome to the Thrive Podcast, the place where you will get to know inspiring real-life women who dare to do the uncommon. They embrace who they are in their life's purpose, and most importantly, they thrive because of it. I am Olga Mueller, a personal success coach and speaker, passionate traveler, and unshakable believer that everyone deserves to live a life they love without ever having to feel guilty about it. Each week, I will introduce you to powerhouse women from all around the world to show you that you can create a fulfilling life you love, no matter the circumstances, personal history, or topic. Me and my fellow ladies are here to bust your fears, your feelings of guilt and shame, and boost your confidence to a whole new level where you are finally able to see that I can do it too. Get ready to dare, embrace, and thrive unapologetically with us. Let's do this. I have an amazing person. Uh, her name is Jessica Joel Alexander, and she is the best-selling author, a Danish parenting expert, columnist, speaker, and cultural researcher. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, Vanity Fair, NPR, Huffington Post, Mother Mag, and the Greater Good Science Center, Barclay. Her book, The Danish Way of Parenting, What the Happiest People in the World Know About Raising Confident, Capable Kids, is coming out in over 25 countries and in... 15 languages. She's, she writes for the Huffington Post, the Copenhagen Post, and the local Denmark. And Jessica speaks four languages and lives with her Danish husband and two children in Europe. And I am so excited to have you on the Thrive Podcast today. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much. I'm uh, excited to be here. And um, I know that like the focus today we won't be talking much about the book because I, I think the book is an amazing piece of work but really I was so mesmerized when I went and checked out your blog and read about some articles that you published about your own story mm -hmm. uh, where you were describing really you know honestly uh, the struggle that you had to actually get to this point and I was thinking like you know sometimes we forget when people get to a certain level of let's say success that you know it's been a, uh, a very difficult uh, journey for those people mm. as well and so when mm. I read your post I was like oh my god you know I felt so um, I could relate so much to that story and I thought it would be wonderful to actually share that with the audience and um You actually said, you know, I told myself I couldn't pursue my dream and that's what held me back. And so now I'm curious, are you actually living your dream right now and how does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that I am. Um, I mean, all the big boxes of my dreams have been checked off. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, that's a pretty weird place to be in because I think you know, a lot of, a lot of people think, oh, are you living your dream? Mm -hmm. But there's, there's, it's, it's, it's sort of a continual process. Um, and I, what I mean is that I think you'll find like most people, it's, 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 it's the journey, not the destination, right? Because often you get to the destination and you're like, oh, okay. Right. And you're, you yeah. just, you're, you're moving on kind of to the next, um, to the next thing, yeah. right? Uh, because life just sort of, continues on um I think sometimes we feel like once you reach certain goals then everything's going to be great mm -hmm. but then you find like oh okay well I'm here now and then it, it's either what you expected or what you didn't expect mm -hmm. and then you're sort of making new goals then and what was your dream 
Um, well, I, um, I really wanted to live in Italy, for one. Um, that's where I'm living now. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous, but like things like being married and having kids, that was also a dream for me. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's, that's something we should underestimate. Um, and then, I mean, I mean, writing a book, I wanted to be an author. And um, definitely I have, have um, accomplished that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, I have, I think I have some really nice, interesting friends. And uh, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty happy, knock on wood, with, um, with what I've accomplished. <laughs> That's awesome. But, you know, and how did you actually start out because I already mentioned the journey was not always like easy or simple for you either right. um right. have you I mean have you always been writing or how did you get started with all of this so I've always been writing and and the reason I include all these other things like where I live and my husband and stuff because I feel like those are also um really important things to in, in like in, in my book, I talk about raising the whole child, not just academics. And I feel like also we as people, we have to see ourselves as a whole person mm-hmm. and that our, that our goals are not just like um, work related, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's good to think already when we're younger to like think of our whole life, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so I've, I've always been writing and um, I think, oh, I've, I've been fairly good at uh, listening to my inner voice, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So I, I feel like I've had a little bit of a, a magnetic um, draw within me. Um, so I kind of like knew what I was drawn to. I knew that I was very drawn to Europe, for example. I knew that I really wanted to be a writer. And um, I didn't really know how I was going to get there. But um, I just, yeah, I mean, I was writing for... I mean, for 10 years before I wrote The Danish Way of Parenting. And I was writing completely different kinds of books. I was writing in, writing novels. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote one novel, actually. I thought I had written it four times. And then I discovered I'd actually written it five times. Over <laughs> so, the course of the 10 years. No, uh, yes, along with, um, you know, short stories and writing. Oh, okay. Things. Yes, yes, I, I had written it. I mean, that just that just shows you how how kind of um, lost I had become in all of it that I, I didn't even realize I'd written it five times. Um, but you know what? I never finished it. So How was that? Well, because um, this, so I had, I had this kind of idea in my head from when I was a kid that I wasn't a finisher. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I play the piano and I can play a lot of songs on the piano, but only 75% of them. <laughs> And, um, and this was kind of like, um, uh, a bit of a label that I had gotten from it as a kid. Mm. And this is also something that I write about in my book, um, a chapter called reframing, which is also what I wrote about in that article you read, um, and how this concept of reframing, which is like, it has a lot of things to it, but one of them is examining the labels that we have from our childhood and seeing if they're true. And if you can sort of rewrite those labels. Yeah. Um, and so I think, yeah, go ahead. And what were, what were some of the like most, let's say, limiting labels that you have uncovered for yourself? Well, I, th- I think that was a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a, like, I wasn't a finisher or that maybe I wasn't a writer. Um, even though I, you know, I, I kind of always, you know, I knew that I was and, and, and whatnot, but I think I had this kind of, you know, doubt in my head that I wasn't a writer. And I actually think that was coming from the fact that I was writing the wrong kind of book. Mm-hmm. It was, so it wasn't the right book for me. And that's why I didn't feel like a writer. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just a perfect example. This book I had written, you know, five times. I mean, I'm talking a full book. Um, and I didn't finish the last chapter. Mm. Um, so when I, um, when I started the writing the Danish way of parenting, I was, I, in my mind, I had, because I was writing about reframing as well. I was like, I am a finisher. I'm going to finish this, you know? Yes, I am a writer. Yes. I, you know, I, I kept challenging these um that limiting belief uh what are some of the other limiting beliefs well um you know my nickname is messy jesse <laughs> where did that so, come from because i'm well take a guess i'm a little bit messy um a little bit a little bit dis, you know disorganized and um and so i also kind of wanted to challenge this because it was it was a bit um I don't mind being a little bit disorganized, but sometimes it can be really frustrating because I lose a lot of time Yeah. because I can't find something or it's, you know, and the more your life gets busy, the more, the more it matters yeah. to be organized. So this was also something I, I decided like, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know, there's steps to changing that, um, that sort of, you know, that label. Yeah, it doesn't and have I mean, to be true. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't have to be true. And, and oftentimes uh, that's I, I think it's why it's very powerful to examine the ones we get from childhood because I think those are the ones that really stick with us in a subconscious level mm-hmm. um, almost without realizing it and some mm-hmm. of those yeah and I think some of those are good like some some labels are are good like I you know I think I had some good labels about myself as well and those I think are fine to keep but the ones that are holding you back um or preventing you from, you know, doing, succeeding. And I mean, even things like I wrote an article about being a runner. I don't know if you read this, but for a long time, I also said that I wasn't a runner. Mm. And I'm like, no, I'm not a runner. And people would, you know, I have friends that would run. No, I, me, I'm not a, I'm just not, I'm just not a runner, I would say. Yeah. And then I'm like, but why am I not a runner? I'm not a runner because I don't run. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I started I just to challenge myself, I started running and, and slowly built up a program and, um, kept doing it, kept doing it until I, I ran a half marathon. Wow. And, and that was, that was also, that was really good for my self confidence and self esteem. Mm-hmm. Cause it really showed me that you're only what you're limiting talk. That's true. That's the, the language and the words that are the way we talk to ourselves It's like people don't understand how impactful that is because from a coaching perspective, whatever we say to ourselves, it goes straight in. There is nothing holding it back and the mind accepts it as the truth. So like you said, if you keep telling yourself, I'm not a runner or I'm not an author, I'm not a writer, I'm lazy, I'm messy, whatever, the mind just accepts that and then it will you know, shape whatever you, your, all your behaviors, your emotions, according to that so-called truth. Yes. And I think an important thing to add here is that, so, um, you know, it's not that like, it's not that you have to completely negate it. 
right? So it's not that I completely negated the fact that I'm I'm still messy Jesse. Like I'm mm-hmm. kind of okay with that um, because I'm also there's a lot of good sides to that. I'm also very creative, you know, and um, and I think you know there's there's always good sides to the sort of sometimes negative label, but it's also about like externalizing that talk. Mm-hmm. So it's like yes, sometimes I'm struck by bouts of messiness, mm-hmm. but I'm not messy, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm struck by bouts of laziness, but I'm I'm actually a super hard worker. I'm more like just a fa- like I'm a phasal worker. Like I work in really intensely in periods of time, yeah. you know. Um, and so the reason it's important to separate that from yourself is because I think we're all struck by these different things. Yeah, it that doesn't make us that you know it doesn't make us that because there's a lot of other sides to that behavior exactly i I love that because usually that what makes this those limiting beliefs or uh, labels so strong is the word the two words i am so if you say if you externalize it like you said and you describe it as a behavior as a as a something external then it loses a certain power and so what allowed you to really you know burst this you know maybe fear that you had for over 10 years to finish this book and publish it yeah well okay so uh, again I was writing this novel and uh and yeah I was sort of fixated on this novel and and this rewriting of this novel and then when I got the idea for the Danish way of parenting it was like a light bulb went off in my head mm-hmm. that made me realize one, this was the book I was supposed to write. And two, that I was writing the wrong kind of book. And how did you know that this was the book you had to write? I, I swear it was really, it was like, you know, I don't know if you've, you know, when you fall in love or like when you meet the man of your dreams, they talk, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, you just know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally can remember the moment that I, that I, I mean, I, I, you and I met before when yeah. I was speaking at a conference and I talk about this moment where I was watching my husband play with my daughter on the floor in a way that for me was very Danish. And I was feeling super grateful that I had this Danish influence in my life and that it was going to make, you know, make her happier as an adult, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the, at the same moment, I was reading the newspaper and I read that Denmark was voted as the happiest country in the world for 40 years in a row. Mm-hmm. And for me... I, I like I put the two together and I thought, wow, it maybe it's the parenting. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I had been using this Danish way of parenting for sort of three or four years already. And I was it had changed me so much as a person. And I was really convinced that it could happen. I had the moment like I remember where I was. I remember how the room smelled. I remember, you know, we were on vacation. We were in a hotel room. And um, and I just it was like in that moment, I knew what I had to do. I knew that was the book I had to write. I knew that was the book that was, that was, it was just like the one. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in, in fact, just to give you an idea of how much I knew it was the one, you know, for 10 years, I had been telling people that I was writing a book, mm. you know, people asked, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm writing, you know, are you still writing? People knew that I was writing a book, but I was never finishing the book. And when I got the idea for this book, I did not tell almost anybody until it was published, including my husband. Wow. Yep. And so just to uh, also clarify for other people, those 10 years that you've been writing that novel, were you actually working also as a as a writer back in that days? Or, you know, were you doing something else? 
So, okay, so we lived in Norway for, for like four years and I was teaching um, like cultural differences and companies and, uh, and writing skills courses and I was working for a um, like a team building company, mm-hmm. um, you know, facilitating team buildings. Um, and then my husband and I, we started this company. My husband has a jewelry company and so I, I helped get that off the ground, um, which was a nightmare. And... Um, <laughs> And I, I've always, I'm always writing like when I can. Okay. And um, and yeah, so I've I've always been writing, but like I've also been working uh, in business and and training and coaching and etc. Um, but um, I uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah. And then I had kids, and um, you know, we were fortunately in a situation where I mean, I was a mom full time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I say fortunately because, you know, whatever your choice is, you know, some people don't have that option. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we chose that. So I would stay home with the kids for, um, some years and, um, and then I really like would dig out my time for mm-hmm. writing because, you know, you have to be very organized with your time <laughs> <laughs> to like nap time, get the computer out. Um, and, um, and then, yeah, and then I went back to work, um, in the jewelry company. And by that time I had already started the Danish way of parenting. And I, I mean, then I was working like a lot, <laughs> too, too much, too much, too much, too much. It was, it was a very crazy period of my life. I was working like two jobs in the jewelry company. And then on the train, oh, wow. I was writing the book. And I think, thank you for sharing this because I think this is so important. Um, Most of the people that I've gotten to know, you know, and and I want to, you know, get rid of this idea that, you know, once you just start, you have an idea or you want to start a business, it's not just like going straight from point A to point B or making clear that, you know, you haven't been born and then all of a sudden you've been the successful author, right? Mm-hmm. you've you people have like you started on the side and you have a lot of other things going on and you're just tr- trying to you know continue with this craft or this uh, talent purpose that you have on the side and it's not just overnight and so how d- how long did it actually take for you then to write the danish way of parenting um from door to door about a year and a half Wow. And this is also yeah. like quite like an extensive time. Usually we only see like the end product and it's like, oh, this is cool. But like we don't see all the energy all the time that f- that goes into this. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's actually I mean, for some people, that's a f- that's that's a re- that's a short time. I don't think you can write a book in less than a year. Um, I mean, maybe you can. But I now I've had some experience, I've you know, and. I don't, I definitely could not write a book in less than a year. Um, it's just, it's just a lot. I mean, it, I guess it depends on what you're writing, but since yeah. my, my books are like research based, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of, yeah, it's a big thing. I mean, I, I, that's another, that's something else I guess I realized along the journey as well. You know, we all, many people want to be a writer, mm-hmm. you know, and that's also why it's difficult when you say like, um, when you, when, you know, we can doubt ourselves, right? Because I mean, many people want to be a writer, but I think, uh, a couple of things, one, you, it, you're a writer if you write, mm-hmm. I think. And then, uh, two is that 
people don't realize how difficult it is to write a book. Hmm. I would say that's that's been my experience now in the sort of author world or or you know being experienced around around the that many people who haven't really attempted to write a book or but who would like to write or think they're going to write a book mm. I think they always get a shock when they actually start doing it about how difficult it actually is what it's would, a lot of work to write a book what would you recommend to people actually who who are you know in love with the idea of writing a book um I first I would say to realize that it's that it's a bigger bigger job than um if you if you don't haven't done it yet, that mm -hmm. just to be prepared that it's a bigger job, um, and then I mean all writers have different um, techniques or uh, what do you say like um, they have different strategies for their books. But like for me, I know that this is because I wasn't a finisher. Um, <laughs> for me, it's important to get to get the outline done first. Mm. So for me, it's important that I get the whole like the skeleton down. Yeah. So that I can, um, I can fill in the bones, so to speak, and then I know like what I'm doing, and I know where I'm going, and I sort of have the, um, and I think it helps just to have like the whole concept in your mind. What what held me back when I was writing novels, is that, um, you know, creative writing is just, I mean, I think it's really it's it's harder because you don't know where it's going all the time. Yeah. It's like this character can develop and that character, you know, and you can get new ideas. Whereas, again, for me, I found nonfiction just easier because I was like, okay, this is what I want to express. This is yeah. the kind of, and, and then, yeah. Um, and, what, and give it time, give yeah. it time. Awesome. And so what, what, you know, gave you the, the final like breakthrough to, you know, not only write and finish the book, but also to then publish it yourself? Well, I mean, once from the moment that I had the idea of the book, for me, it was like, that was where it was going. Mm -hmm. Like, no matter what, it was going to be published, whether I self-published it or got a publisher, it was, that was where it had to go. Um, so I think from the moment that I had that Eureka experience, it was, it was no doubt, it was just when, um, and, uh, yeah, but I mean, of course it's, a, it's, it's, again, it's a, it's a long journey and it's a lot of work and it's, um, like, you know, we self-published, so it was also a fairly big investment mm -hmm. of time and money. And, um, and I think one of the most important things for sure, at least for me was just the belief in the project. I really, really believed in what I was writing about. And I really believed that it was going to help other people, like really, truly, so much so. Like I felt this, like I felt I had to get this out to people. And and that belief, I can tell you, was like a lantern in the dark nights. Yeah, I believe that so much. And so do you think that this was also what was different for this book compared to the novel that you have written before? Um, well, uh, it was nonfiction. The novel was sort of, you know, it was fiction and in a, it's fiction is completely different. I mean, it's, um, it's much more creative and again, you're developing characters and you're developing plot lines and, and, um, whereas 
nonfiction is just, it's, you know, you're doing research and I was also incorporating my voice and my story into the, into the book to try to make it also like a, like a readable parenting book, something mm-hmm. kind applicable. of, kind of yeah, applicable, but also sort of, um, an easy read, like ple- oh, yeah. pleasurable, like anybody can read it. It's not for, it's not for psychologists yeah. and you know, it's, it's for just anyone and, and that it's a fair, I mean, I hope that it's a fairly enjoyable read, you know, the, that parents can find themselves in the book. Um, but I mean, like I this think inner they do. conviction, this inner conviction yeah. to re- like you said, to really say, it's just a matter of when, and I know that it will help people. I know this is like important. Do you think that this was the biggest difference in, in you following through with it and giving it the, the passion and the energy that you have? Um, I mean, to be perfectly honest, a bit of like a crisis in my life. Um, so that's, that's actually, I'd had, I'd had some, some rocky times and, um, I won't go into details, but I had a bit of a difficult period, which really shook me. And, um, and it was one of those experiences and crises where it was like, now is really the time. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, and I, and I, I'm, I'm only saying that because I think that people, I think I know everybody goes through crises in their life mm-hmm. at some point and of all different kinds. And And it's really horrible when you go through crises, but it can also be extremely positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm somebody who actually truly believes that all gro- all growth comes from pain. Yeah, um, it's just been something I've always like. Um, I've always really believed in. Like, I don't know if you ever read The Prophet, yeah. Khalil Gibran. Okay, you know, pain is what is it? Pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses our understanding. Mm. Um. And so I feel like all great transformation comes from, can come from difficult times in our life. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of feel like, um, actually one of the books I would like to write in the future when I finish the next one is, um, giving birth to yourself. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Because that's literally what writing the book was for me. It was like giving birth to myself. It was a period, it was a long period. It was, you know, like a, you know, nine months of full writing and then it was editing And that it was just a very laborious, painful time in my life. But I feel like what came out of it was so authentic mm-hmm. and so real. And so, so like, I, I really, I think I kind of became myself through the process of who I am now. Mm. Um, well, and, and this will, this will change again, right? Sure. <laughs> Because we change, but. What do you think was the, the biggest thing that has changed for you through that um, let's say writing experience or this whole book experience of the Danish way of parenting? Um, I, well, I became a writer. Number one, I became who I always wanted to be. Um, I became a finisher. I became, um, you know, I, I became a journalist. I became, you know, I, I did all of the things that I, that I really always wanted to do. Um, and, I became much more independent as well. Um, I believe much more in myself. So, so yeah. Um, but it, it came from a, like a really play, like a hard place, you know, it came from a difficult place. And like I said, and what was interesting for me also is that, I mean, my breakthrough, my growth time, my giving birth to myself mm-hmm. didn't 
happen until I was almost 40. Mm. So I, I think an important message for me to send to other people, women in particular, is that, you know, we have this idea that we're supposed to have it all figured out, like in our 20s mm-hmm. or 30s. And I really, having had an experience also of starting a company from scratch in my early 30s, which I thought, we are totally insane to do this. <laughs> um, you know, we should be having this perfect settled life at this age. Um, and yet we, we managed it and it just happened at a different age than somebody else. You know, I didn't become, I didn't really get my, my dream career off the ground until I was almost 40. Hmm. So, um, you know, I, I think it's also, it's good for people to know that like, there's not a set age for, you know, quote, dreams or specified success or, or whatever. I think it can happen later in life, earlier in life. Mm -hmm. Um, um, yeah, but I think it's good because I think some people can get also like, you know, down because, oh, I haven't, I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. And I think it it is very important because I don't know if I just think about my parents, they would probably say, oh, it's already too late, you know, but then I think, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, let's say, 40 or 50 years old or 60, even it doesn't matter the probability that you're going to, you know, what, how great would it be if maybe you have spent 50, 60 years on something that you didn't enjoy as much or you were just, you know, working through it, but then you can really live another 10, maybe 15 or maybe just five years, but really, you know, in in the in the dream or in the way that you have always actually wanted just by um yeah getting to that point of you know giving birth to yourself like you said it yeah i mean this um who who was it Kate, katie byron the one that was at the conference byron katie, yeah. By, sorry byron katie um i mean when did she develop the work do you know um it was 86 and um i think she had been yeah in her in her 30s no 40s probably yeah i think or, she was older later. she was she was also older because she even said it at the conference like she didn't she didn't have this discovery till yeah. she was older um and it's just i like i know also a lot of moms that are that are kind of in this you know whether they've decided to, they're staying at home or they're like you know whatever they're doing for work maybe they don't feel as fulfilled and they yeah. feel like oh i haven't done my i haven't gotten my, you know, I haven't fulfilled my dreams yet, or I haven't done this. And, and, you know, you feel like you're getting older and stuff. And like I said, I just think it's really important to know that, um, you know, it can happen later. It can happen later. It's what's important is that you sort of, that you're, I think you're in touch with yourself yeah. and your own, your true drives and desires, not what society wants. Yeah. And I think that just to add on, I think another important thing is that really people make time for themselves that they you know prioritize themselves especially mothers I know from my own experience like you can get caught up in the daily routines pretty fast and if you don't dedicate any time to yourself your your own development you can get lost yeah for sure um and of but you know it's first a lot of moms it's super 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 difficult and I mean I also think that, you know, saying, saying this term about giving birth to myself, I mean, it also came after having had two small children. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, it is such a, that in itself is such a rite of passage. And 
change of life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so in a way, I mean, I think that um, many times we can we become our best selves. Yeah, even after that that time. And so talking about this like finding one's voice i mean one's purpose is like so important to really create a truly fulfilling life in my opinion and um so you've touched a little bit upon it already but you know what would you say have helped you specifically to find your voice and the purpose and what would you recommend other women to you know to do especially when they feel lost or empty when it comes to this topic Okay, well, first I would say, I mean, I don't know the age of your your audience, more or less, but um, if if it's for younger people, um, I would say live as much as you can, mm -hmm. experience as much as you can. If you if you have a drive to travel, travel. If you have a drive to do other things, it's like I think the more experience you have of life, the easier it is to find your purpose. You know, it's the same as like, sometimes it's, it's important to date a lot of people so that you know, when you find the right one, Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't recommend, I mean, just generally going for the first is sometimes, you know, because you never know. So I, I, I really believe in getting life experience mm -hmm. so that you get to know yourself, right? Because you, you know, you make mistakes, you try different things, you, you fail, you, um, you understand, uh, life in a new way. And I, and I, and I really believe that, um, helps you know when something seems right for you. Yeah, totally. So, so I would say if you're, you know, young, well, I guess any age, but anyway, getting as much life experience as possible. Um, and if that means not taking that high paying job at the certain time, I, you know, I think it's worth it. Um, and then, um, well, I mean, I think probably everybody's voice, you know, everybody's voice is different. Um, in my case, the ironic thing was that all of my favorite books mm -hmm. were not novels, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like my favorite books are like Malcolm Gladwell and these kinds of, you know, um, yeah. So, so I guess I had already had clues that I wasn't writing the yeah. right book. Um, and then, yeah. And I just think, um, the more you can be in touch with your real self, the easier it is to find your voice and to find your passion and to find your purpose. Getting back to, um, the, the your journey from finding your voice. So you had found it and then you decided to go and publish it yourself. Um, And you mentioned already, like starting, let's say, that business or that journey um, came also with great investments, not only time, but also uh, money. Um, is there any like rough number just for us to get an idea like what that really meant for you? I don't know, like are we talking three figures, four figures, five figures? And how did you, you know, what actually helped you to cope with that financial, um, let's say, burden? Well, um, yeah, it was, um, it was expensive. It was like not three figures. I don't know. It was like, it was, it was, it was above, it was below, let's just say it was below 50,000, mm -hmm. but, um, it was because, you know, you have to pay for 
having it, having the book made and then printing and then um, shipping. Yeah. And in the beginning, I was shipping everything from our company in Italy because I hadn't sent it to the Amazon warehouses yet. Mm-hmm. So and I, you know, the book was on, on the website and it was selling like various places and I was getting orders from like the craziest places <laughs> like I don't even remember now, but like Papua New Guinea and like just the, wow. just the, like like all over the world, I was getting orders and I and I was shipping them from Italy, so I was actually spending more on shipping yeah. than, um, yeah, and like dealing with Amazon was, oh, <laughs> such a nightmare, um, because there was Amazons in America, there was Amazon in yeah. the UK, and they they had all different rules and requirements and um so keeping track of all that and then there was shipping over to amazon there was shipping to the warehouses um and then there was you know all of the the building of the social media um it's a super complex you know it, it sounds so easy right we just go to the store and buy the book but what lies behind it like just from what the few things that you mentioned It's just like a complexity that I think nobody would ever really, um, you know, expect. No, and of course you can, I mean, uh, we did it one of, in one of the most complicated ways. You can also um, have it made by Amazon online. You know, they have these and, and, and they will, they will so, put it online and they will print it for you yeah. even. I mean, you, you, you get less, you know, you pay more per book. Um I forget what it's called. Create space, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, so you can create everything on Amazon. You don't have to go through this, but like. But was that know, even really... an option back then? Yeah, you... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. But but we were like set on making it look a certain way mm-hmm. and be a certain quality, and and because of the business we're in, um, you know, we had a kind of logistics already set up. Yeah. And so we thought we could just, it was, you know, we thought, we thought, we thought, but again, <laughs> you realize along the way, oh, this is so much more work. I mean, I had to like print out customs papers and yeah. like, I mean, it was, it was insane. But would you think that, uh, would you say that holding on to, let's say to your standard or to, let's say the standard of product that you wanted to deliver in the end has paid off? Oh, hundred percent. Like if you would look If you're looking back now, would you still do it the same way? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have done a million things differently. But that's also been a fantastic learning experience. Um, I mean, that's that's right. I mean, you know, that's how it is. It's uh, I would I would have done a lot of things differently, but I don't at all regret the way it went because I mean, uh, you know, we were contacted by the biggest publisher in the world. Mm-hmm to publish the book, which doesn't happen, you know, I, I can imagine. Like, that's just totally, that's just totally crazy. You know, like usually you have an agent and you have to, da, 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 and this and that. And, um, and to be like contacted by Penguin Random House because they're wanting to publish your book worldwide. Yeah. It's, I think that happens to 1% of people. What was that moment? Like, like, did um, they, they call like, you or write you? Or? A, yeah. I thought it was a, um, candid camera. <laughs> I'm serious. I thought it was candid camera because I, I just thought this, this doesn't happen. Um, but I also felt like, yeah, so it was 
it was a huge whirlwind. I mean, it was it was a lot of whirlwind. I mean, from the moment the book was published until you know it got republished again mm-hmm. in um, with with them, um, it was a huge emotional whirlwind. And and like I said, for the first six months that I was running the entire logistics, shipping, PR, writing articles, publishing articles writing for newspapers, writing for magazines. Oh my God. I mean, I had nothing left for anybody. I can imagine. And this was the irony of all of this. And and it's not, I'm not the only one because I've spoken to a lot of parenting authors. Mm -hmm. The irony is like you write a parenting book and then you cannot be a parent. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, thank goodness I had a patient family because really it was, it was, it was a period where, yeah, mama, mama didn't have much, much at home for a yeah. little while. Was there, was there ever a moment where you were just like feeling that you want to quit? It just got so overwhelming or just so much work. Yes, but you know what? I w- it was never even remotely an option for me to quit. Hmm. That That's also where... Um, apart from like a combination of maybe having like a crisis in your life where you kind of feel like this is the moment you have to, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. like the Rocky moment, you know, you're building yourself up. And, um, apart from that, I really think there was something about just, you know, knowing Mm -hmm. I, I always compare it to this feeling you have when you meet the one, Yeah, you know, it's like, that was really how it was. And so I, I, I really fundamentally did not doubt at all that it was a good book. And I didn't doubt that it could be a powerful, important book. Um, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, And if you feel that way, then you have to push through because I I really believe. And of course, I'd done a big focus group as well. Mm -hmm. The book before publishing it, I did. I sent it out to parents, um, Republicans, Democrats, you know, Europeans, mm-hmm. um, I said a whole survey and then rewrote the book after I got the feedback. Okay. So I think also getting a focus group, if you're writing a book mm-hmm. is really helpful because, you know, you can improve for sure. Always. Yeah, there's definitely, most definitely. But if you, if you, but if you think, if you believe in what you're writing about and you believe in the idea, then... I do think that is something that carries you through all the very difficult moments. And what was actually, you know, your environment like when you were, when you wrote the book or in the process, like you also mentioned that there were a lot of naysayers, like what were some of the, you know, toughest or, you know, most negative opinions or maybe people situations that you were confronted with during that journey? Um, well, to be honest, so I didn't tell anybody I was writing this book. Um, it's funny when I met my husband, my Danish husband, Mm -hmm. I didn't tell anybody about him until we were engaged. (laughs) Wow. And how long was that time until, uh, not long, like six months. Oh, wow. I, I also, he was the one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't introduce him to any friends, no family, nothing. Because I felt it was important that I listen to my own voice. Mm. 
So, uh, as I said, I had been telling people that I had been writing for so many years that I was actually tired of hearing myself talking about it. Mm. And when this book started uh, happening, I decided I'm not saying anything until it's ready. Mm-hmm. Because, again, I didn't actually want to be affected by, you know, mm-hmm. um, I didn't want to be affected too much by by the naysayers. When time, like, you know, self-publishing and the investment and all that stuff, then there started to be mm-hmm. naysayers. Mm-hmm. Because then, of course, I had to involve other people and 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 start talking about it with some people. And then it was like, oh, but, you know, do you want to do that? Or, you know, not to spend the money on certain things or um, this kind of thing. But again, I mean, one thing I learned from um, doing business in, an, in another sense is that, like, you have to invest in order to get return. Yeah. I mean, that's unfortunately just the reality. Some people are able to make successes without investing anything. But I think generally, you know, you have to take that. And, and if it fails, it fails. But so, yeah, so there was, there was naysayers then. And then of course there was, you know, just your typical stuff, people, people not believing in it. And, but you're always going to get naysayers, you know, always, I think in anything you do, you're going to get naysayers. I agree. But how did you deal with them? Um, I, you know, at that point, I, I really didn't care. Because I was so determined. And I was so sure. And I was so, like, at all costs, this had to get out to the world. So, um, you know, it could have been a total fail. And it could have been a massive loss of money. Um, but at the same time... Um, it, it, I mean, it's, I think it still would have been a success because, you know, it was my dream to do it. And I was very proud. You know what? I, I always say this book was my third baby. Mm-hmm. It was literally like having my third child. It was, it was, it was that labor intensive and that sort of stressful and emotionally draining. And, um, uh, which by the way is not true for all, all books. <laughs> <Just this one. laughs> they can be really pleasant and enjoyable. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I think I think you you know you deal with naysayers just like you do in any you know in any sort of field like any kind of area where people are whether it's your boyfriend or your job or your you know your choice of you know free time. I mean, that's that's again where it becomes so so important to cultivate your inner voice yeah because it's your inner voice that will be able to process and filter the naysayers because the naysayers aren't always a bad thing you know sometimes it's a good thing to have a naysayer especially if you can sort of um uh discuss it right um and work through it but it's always going to be helpful if you have a you believe in yourself, you know, you believe in your, your own, your own convictions. Yeah. I think the, the most difficult thing about, you know, critics or naysayers or whatever we want to call them is to, you know, not, um, mistake what they're saying as something, you know, personal about you, you as a, as a person, as a character, but really take it, you know, 
just a like let's say a statement about whatever you know the the work the result the you know the thing but not taking it personally yeah absolutely and actually I mean now that I'm thinking about it for me it was really helpful um in several points in my life to as I mentioned before not to mention what I was doing to friends or family yeah Actually, sometimes that was helpful for me because because it's so easy to get swayed. And like, I mean, I'm, I guess coming back to Messy Jesse and having a creative mind, you know, I, I can be like, oh, and get swayed there and get swayed there and mm. and, and, and oh, well, maybe and then and then get doubtful. Um, and, and I think that also connects to um, the point you mentioned earlier, you know, Uh, getting life experience for yourself and realizing that, you know, the people you're going to share, for example, your book proposal or your ideas with, they don't have the same experience as you have. They come from no. a totally different, you know, background, just mentally, even if they're your parents, your your siblings, whoever, everybody has a different, you know, understanding of things. And yeah. so just realizing that they might just, they just might not be able to understand it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and again, I think if it's something in your life where you feel, um, very strongly about, mm -hmm. then maybe it's good to take time and not share it, you know, yeah. um, to let it sit, to let it sort of, um, But this is also where I feel like self-awareness is hugely important because like self-awareness also lets us know, you know, maybe you have a habit of dating bad guys, right? So in that case, if you think you found the one, maybe you want help, right? Yeah. Um, if you, but this takes self-awareness to be able to say, wow, I know from my history, I'm, I'm usually choosing jerks, <laughs> right? Yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of people don't have that self-awareness. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I, I think the first thing, that comes back to the voice, but it's very much about self-awareness. And I think the humility to look at your, you know, let's say faults, but like I, I think faults is also a good thing. You know, as they say, crack, that's where the light comes in, mm -hmm. right? It's, in our, it's through our faults, right? So, so I think when you have the vulnerability and the humility to admit to yourself where you, you know, you, you have weaknesses, or you have struggles, then, then it also it will help you understand when maybe you do want that help and support and choose who to get it from. Oh yeah. This is very important. For sure. Um, because there are some people that are just totally risk averse all the time. And so what would you say? Or negative. Yeah. And what would you say has helped you now like really turn, let's say this, this uh, journey of let's call it exhaustion and frustration at some certain points into this huge success story because being published in over 25 countries and 15 languages is a huge thing like yeah. when you mentioned somebody bought your book in the beginning for Papua New Guinea or something like that how crazy is that <laughs> yeah 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 and that was and again that was when it was self-published so there was yeah. no there was no uh, this was just because someone had read an article I'd written On, on, on the internet, you know, um, and, uh, and I was packing it up in my own little envelope, filling out customs papers downstairs in my, in like in the office logistics and yeah. like sending it out. Um, so, 
yeah, so we're talking also like very different numbers back in the beginning. Um, and what do you think like internally or externally what were some of the, those success factors that you're convinced like without those things this would not have been possible uh well first i think the um i i think i think it, you know the first having a good book mm -hmm. is like a good product right i mean i think that's 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 important um And so, so it becomes something you really believe in. I mean, I keep coming back to this thing about believing in it, but it's so true. I mean, it's the same in relationships, right? If you really believe in your partner, you will, you will stick yeah. it out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, work. you will make it work because you know that this is, this is your guy, right? Or yeah. this is your girl. Um, and, um, so yeah, I think, um, mm, sorry, what was your question again? So what has turned the journey of frustration and exhaustion really into the success? Maybe is there also, you ah, know, some yeah. from the business side that you can, you know, share with us that oh, can for help sure. with our audience? For sure. For sure. It was, business. it was absolutely, I mean, it was totally from the business side, to be honest, that, that it's a huge part. I mean, I could say it still would have been a success like it is today, but I, that would be a lie. Mm hmm it was definitely having the business side um, that that really, 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 I mean, got it into the hands of the biggest publisher in the world, you know? Um, but uh, you're saying, what turned the intensive pain into... Um, yeah, what turned that journey sex? from frustration into success? Well, it's funny because, like, again, I come back to this giving birth to yourself concept. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, it's a whole thing. Pregnancy and labor and having small children, right? Yeah. It's a lab it's a labor of love. I mean, it's it's really really hard to have children. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 I I truly think it's like the hardest job in the world. Yes. <laughs> I agree. And 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 it's crazy like how you know what it is, but it's also so And so wonderful, and it's one of the most rewarding jobs in the world. Mm. And um, and I think that anything that you put a labor of love into, right, what you get back, like I like I said, even if the book hadn't had the success it has, I think even what I got back from emails from someone in Australia that was like, oh my god, your book has changed my life, mm -hmm. you that I would be flying for days. <laughs> You know, more than when I saw it go to bestseller on Amazon. Yeah. You know, sometimes it was the letters from people reading it that had been touched by the story that had touched me. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the, it's just like when your child smiles at you. It, it's like it was, the, it was the same kind of um, that joyous feeling from, yeah. from all, the, uh, all the putting into it. But, but again... Um, Yeah, I mean that's again that's not always the, the journey of a book, and that's not always the journey of a. Um, but in my case, that's how it was. One thing I'm also very curious because um, it ha doesn't necessarily have to do now with the journey, but you know, one thing I come to see repeatedly um, in other, especially moms, is this whole topic of mommy guilt and self doubt. 
about you know especially when taking a longer maternity break like how to go back and feeling guilty about going back for example into the job to the business and so what do you think is responsible for this and what is maybe something that you have learned from danish moms about mm -hmm. this topic well i mean danish moms have a lot less stress generally mm -hmm. than than moms in other countries um So I think their system just is way better at supporting like moms and dads. And because society is much more accepting of moms being moms mm -hmm. <laughs> and working and all these things, um, moms have less guilt, I think, than they do in other countries. I mean, I don't have stats on that, but I'm, yeah. I would be pretty sure that's true. Um, I don't live in Denmark, so um, I very much experience the mom guilt. And I think... I think most moms, they're going to experience it no matter what they do. So if you work, you're going to feel mom guilt. If you stay at home, you're going to feel mom guilt. If you do both, you're going to feel mom guilt. I don't know if it's like a woman thing or why this has been ingrained in us because we always want to be doing more or we don't feel we're doing enough or we're not doing it good enough. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, it's just some, for some reason in kind of ingrained, um, I don't know any woman that doesn't suffer from mom guilt, to be honest. So I can only say that in my case, um, I was suffering from a lot of mom guilt when I was staying at home with the kids. Yeah. Even though I was like, I feel, well, I, that's where I was sort of incubating the Danish way, mm -hmm. right? Um, so in a way, some of my best work, not only as personally, but also what would turn out to be professionally, was happening in those years mm -hmm. that I was home, which is another interesting thing to say that sometimes experiencing life is actually the education that will bring us our career. Yeah. And I actually feel like often it is the most authentic experience, you know, when you live life yeah. that you will in some way, shape or form take into your career. Um, so, um, but yeah, during that time and I was writing, but I felt super guilty that I wasn't working. Um, even though of course, you know, you're a mom of two kids, you're totally working. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, yeah. And so, um, when I finally had this, um, I had started writing the book in the summer, uh, summertime. And then it was, I think around Christmas that I had a sort of crisis, mm -hmm. And I went back to work like beginning of uh, January mm -hmm. and I took on like full on, full on. The kids went into daycare. Mm -hmm. um, I went back to work like I was six o'clock in the morning on a train and back at like 10 o'clock at night sometimes. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, and writing on the sides and then relearning a job. Um, relearning everything because you know when you've been out of it for a while as a mom you also feel super insecure and like not good enough and exactly. it's really hard for moms who have been home for a while to go back into the workplace what um, has been your game changer in that um, so just like I, I felt I had to do it and um, and but I felt a lot of it but the way I dealt with the mom guilt was I would wake up in the morning and I would feel super guilty that I had to take the kids to daycare um, and really sad. I can get sad even thinking about it now. Um, 
I would feel super sad about it. And then I'd be like, no way. I am not feeling guilty. I've, I'm, you know, I'm good enough. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I have been such a good, I have really devoted myself as a mom. Like now I need to go to work. This is totally fine. This is total. People do this. This is, you know, um, and I would, and, and I would stop my negative talk mm. and I would stop the guilt and I would, and it, and that's also where kind of this concept of reframing all these things I had to rebuild yeah. my mind, mm-hmm. you know, like even that feeling guilty, I had to turn it around. And I think many times it's just, you know, what, what, you know, gets women is like this whole image of perfection that is imposed on us, I would say, that makes you, that provokes a lot of these feelings like, oh, I'm not doing enough. I should be doing this and this and this and this and whatever. And um, not falling into this and reminding yourself, like you said, about all the things that you are doing, all the things, you know, all the good things that you have and all the maybe even benefits, you know, that your child will also experience from going to daycare. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I'm saying, that you can't win. And when you realize that, it can help you in a way focus on what you're already winning at. You know, you know, focus on what you're already getting right. Because, because like I said, if you, if you actually look at statistics and you, and you just look at women around you and you realize that no matter what, right, I mean, the stay-at-home mom that looks like she's got this really lovely life, trust me, she's suffering because she's yeah. missing a something, you know? And maybe not every day, but sometimes. Yeah. And it may not just be talked about. If you go to the working moms, they may sound like they feel like they've got it all, and you know, but trust me, they're yeah. suffering from guilt because they're not home with baby. And the biggest, I have to tell you, one of the biggest um, enlightening, weird, shocking experiences that I had was because for me, I had, I went so dramatically from one day to the next, from a stay at home mom to a full-time working mom. Um, I also changed mom groups a little bit Mm -hmm. and wow, that was a shock. Um, because like I had gone from kind of a group of moms that were doing similar things, right? And then there was a group of moms that were working moms mm-hmm. and just the conversations that were happening in these groups Completely were just different. so different. And that also gave me more inspiration for the book to talk about this, to talk about empathy and to talk about like, guys, we're all trying our best. Yeah. You know, we're all trying our best and we all want the same things. Let's like understand each other more and be vulnerable rather than try to pretend we are getting it all right. Yeah, and I think also realizing there is not one way. There's not one way to be a mom. There is not one way to do parenting. But I think the most important thing is to, for one, to establish your own, let's say, rules or standards of you know what it means to win as a mom, of what it wins to means to win as a parent or at work or success, whatever it is, to have your own definition so that you won't get, you know, overwhelmed with society's parents, whatever um, people's uh, definition. Yeah. And I, you know, that's where, you know, again, like, you know, speaking of the inner voice and stuff, why this, this, you know, it wasn't called the Danish way of parenting back, back when I first started realizing that it was a thing, Mm -hmm. my gravitation towards Danes and the Danish and like, you know, their sort of parenting style Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, despite I'd read all these books and I was trying to like be the perfect parent and, and suddenly I saw this kind of philosophy that was so much, uh, calmer and less demanding and made, made more sense and was like, uh, allowing me to relax. Um, so, you know, I think this idea of you know winning sometimes is also about dialing it back and simplifying yeah. and just choosing instead of instead of trying right like realizing that you're in different phases of your life at different times and making sure you enjoy what you're in at the moment mm. does that make sense yeah so you know it's like dur- during the period when i had the kids when they were small um, of course I beat myself up because I wasn't accomplishing a million other things. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes I was like, ho, 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 wait a minute. This is like a one shot deal that they're going to be this small. Yeah. Forget the dishes, forget the da 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 today. I'm going to just soak this in. Yeah. And that is so important. And, and it is because then it's gone. And I mean, I think it's the same in careers. Like you've got to soak in know some successes or some and 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 learn from the failures but you know it's it's up and down right and that's what I'm saying like yes I could say that all my boxes are ticked off for my dreams let's Mm -hmm. say but now I'm like I'm looking for new ones you know Mm -hmm. it doesn't last forever it goes away I mean I'm exactly in the same you know like emotional point that I think I would be anywhere I mean I'm really happy about accomplishing these things but it's not that okay that's it now I'm just going to live in a perpetual cloud. Of- <laughs> Beautiful. So uh, one, one question that is very dear to my heart because uh, I'm thinking of my niece in here, but what is some advice that you can give to any really young girl? I'm talking like teenager kids out there who, you know, loves writing, but maybe doesn't believe that being a writer is actually something, you know, realistic or worthwhile to pursue because of the messages that they receive from their environment. What is some advice that you, or some message that you can give to those girls? Um, Well, I think um, this is advice I I got from a professor in college and I thought it was, it's, it's been brilliant advice. Being good at writing is always useful. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's true. And especially more and more that we're, you know, in the, in what, in the changing times we're in being a good right communicator through writing mm-hmm. is, is always going to be helpful. There are so many different kinds of writing, right? So I would say, write, explore. Um, I didn't find my voice, my writing voice until I was 37. Mm-hmm. And I was writing a really long time. And, mm-hmm. and, and now I'm like, boom, I know, I know that's it. That's how to write. Like, that's mm-hmm. my voice, you know? Um, and it's not what I thought it was. It's not like, ooh, elaborate, you know, vocabulary words. It's actually just very direct, short sentences. Um, and I think you just explore. I mean, writing is, is always going to be good for you, no matter what. Mm. I think in, in any job you do, whether you, you know, whether you write a book, whether you self-publish a book, um, which, by the way, there's a lot easier ways to do it. Um, <laughs> uh, whether you self-publish a book or whether you, um, you know, become a journalist mm-hmm. or a blogger or whatever, I think um, 
you know, or just even just journaling, mm. like it's, it's a, it's a very healthy form of expression and writers are people who write period. So if you're writing, you're a writer. I love that. Do you have one message that you would like to share with, with the women listening to this podcast from something that is dear to your heart, maybe, and that you would like other women to, you know, know or remember? Gosh, I have so many. Um, Pick one. I, okay. <laughs> um, no, I think, um, oh, gosh, let me think. Yeah. Um, well, definitely this, this thing about, um, I think it's super, super important to look at some of the labels that you're using for yourself mm -hmm. and, and challenge them and turn them around and find the positive sides of those negative labels and don't call yourself, like you said, like, don't say I am blank. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, work with your self-talk. And I, I truly believe that the more you work with changing your self-talk, instead of saying, I'm not this, or I can't do that. And you start working on saying, I actually can do that. Mm -hmm. Everything starts turning around. I think the language you use in your head and in your, in outside with your voice is so important. Mm. And, and, and it just takes a little bit of awareness I mean, this is going to sound so cheesy, but like, I mean, this is even also how we think about other people. Yeah. Right. So like think nice things, you know, it's, it's, uh, it comes back to you. So sometimes like if I'm feeling, I'm really tired and I feel like some negative seeds going on in my brain, <laughs> you know, like I'm like, I picture, you know, like I'm, I'm literally watering like flowers to try to kind of mm. turn my thoughts into something more positive because, you know, We have a negativity bias as humans. We are, we are programmed to find negativity. It, it served us evolutionarily. It's how we protected ourselves, but it doesn't serve us anymore. So it just takes a little more effort to, to focus on the positive thoughts yeah. about ourselves and about others, but it is completely life-changing. And so closing this out, um, I call this the three nuggets of wisdom. What would you tell your six-year-old self now, like if you could leave her with three with three messages that you want little Jessica to know, um, or to you know carry through with her through through the next decades of her life? What would that be? Keep dreaming, keep believing, and you are more than enough. Oh, that's it. that's very pretty, and so. How can people, you know, find you and work with you? Okay, you can um, you can go to my website, which is jessicajoelalexander.com, mm -hmm. or follow me on Instagram, which is jessicajoel underscore. Um, we also have a Facebook page, The Danish Way, mm -hmm. um, and the danishway.com website. Awesome. So, yeah, feel free to reach out, write anything, any questions, always here. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jessica. I found it so, you know, valuable and time flew by, really. And yeah, I could have done this for two hours. <laughs> I know, but I want to be respectful of your time. But 
you know, um, I really appreciate, you know, really your honesty and all the things that you've shared about really your personal experience, right? And um, your ups and downs and everything that you've learned. I'm sure that people, you know, will take away a lot from this. And um, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll inspire many more women to become writers, authors, and, you know, get their own work out there. Thank you so yeah, much. absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning into the Thrive Podcast and spending your precious time with us. If you found this episode valuable and think that others could benefit from it too, please share it with your network, friends, and family. I would also be forever grateful if you could go over to iTunes and leave us an honest review about the show. And if you have a comment, question, or topic that you would like to see covered on the show, go to algamuller.com slash thrivepodcast. So see you next week, girl. And until then, don't forget that you were meant to thrive.